Let's make today the day you start the business that will change your life. You'll learn how at Income School. Income School is about taking your income into your own hands by creating a website that people will love, building a following, and earning a living online. And now your host, Jim Harmer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Income School. I'm here with Jim, and today we're here with Justin from Empire Flippers. We're really excited to talk to him um, about buying and selling and flipping websites and everything that you know about it, Justin. Uh, We're really excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on, Ricky. Really appreciate it, buddy. Justin, I've been listening to the Empire Flippers podcast uh, hard, to, hard to remember a timeline, maybe six months or so. And I became excited about the idea of, of buying buying a website. And I, I've talked about that previously on the website. But I, I, I guess I want to introduce your business a little bit by saying what I see as, as what sets it apart. There are a lot of different places that you can buy and sell websites on the internet. Uh, obviously, the, the big the big elephant in the room is Flippa, F-L-I-P-P-A dot com. And so I've I scoured that thing, you know, every every few weeks I'd be like, come on, there's got to be a faster way. Like, can I just buy a website? And so I would go go to Flippa, search through there, and it was just one crap spam site on after the next. And uh, I just, I didn't feel like anything, anything the seller could list on there that I'd be like, okay, you know, this is legit. I, I think I'm going to plunk down harder in cash that I believe, you know, this is a legitimate business. Uh, not that there aren't great deals to be had on there by any means, just that I personally didn't feel safe enough to do it. So listening yeah. to your podcast, I got to know you uh, and and Joe and, and, and understanding kind of what your business does. And, and the significant difference that I see with what Empire Flippers does is you're doing some some vetting um, over and above what Flippa does. Flippa does some some very basic things, uh, but over and above that, some vetting of the business and and giving some good buyer-friendly information uh, to, to make sure it's, it's a legitimate site. Yeah, we have a whole bunch of checks that keep uh, people from listing their sites with us uh, from the get-go. So a lot of the sites that probably well, are crappy, probably wouldn't make it to our marketplace at all. The ones that actually do get submitted, we still probably between 30 and 50% deny them from being listed on the marketplace. So a good way to think of it is like Flip is kind of the eBay of buying and selling websites. They have no limitations on who could submit. And as you said, there are some gems on there, but you really have to dig in. And they do have a search function and stuff that helps, but it's a bit harder to find. Whereas our idea was like, look, if we can save buyers time by giving them a marketplace with good quality sites across the board, like they're going to appreciate that, right? And they're going to come back to that because that's going to be that's something that I would look for myself as a buyer. So I thought that would be interesting to provide. Yeah, it definitely is, and it's a service that I've I've loved. I'm continuously looking for new buys on there. You know, when I check through my investments, I look at my mutual fund that's getting you know nine percent is is doing well. And then I look at my my niche site that I bought, and it's like, dang, man, that thing's going to double in value in 20 months. That is absolutely crazy for an investment to do. And and I you know I log into it like you know maybe once a month for five minutes just to make sure that the the website isn't like burning down with spam or something. I do almost nothing with it, and it it's just, I mean, 
I'm going to double my money in, in fact, about 14 months because of some changes I've made to it. You cannot get that in any investment anywhere in the world that's legal. Unless it's selling white, white powdery bags, you can't get that <laughs> kind of return on your money. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about it for that reason. But but the, the listener to this show the vast majority of our listeners are professionals who have a day job and most have a good income already and are doing something on the side or are wanting to earn some some income preferably online but really from any source um, and, and are and you know have have disposable income we have a lot of really wealthy people that listen to the podcast. So kind of coming from that perspective, somebody who, you know, has their feet wet in online stuff, but isn't, you know, an online marketing genius, uh, but has disposable income and can invest. What kind of website should that, should that client be looking for? So I like, I like where you're coming at this from, Jim, is you're looking at it in terms of like an ROI, you're looking at it more of like an asset class or an investment. Sure. Where you know we're in a very small niche of people that build websites and sell websites and buy websites. It's a very very small niche, and it's not really viewed as an investment. And so when you take a step back and you look at it compared compared to other asset classes or investments you can get into, like you said, the returns are absolutely insane. Now with those insane returns comes some risk, right? But even if you have zero uh, growth in the websites, and some go up, some go down, and on average it stays the same. You're looking at a 60% return annually, which is just it's ridiculous. So, you know, that being said, I, I, I totally dig the, the – I think that we should really focus on people that are looking at these investments and in asset classes because I think it opens up the market. Now, for someone looking to just get started, um, we did a podcast on this recently. It's called The Lifestyle Larry Approach uh, to Building a Website Portfolio. And uh, there are a couple of things. Like you want to make sure that you're mitigating the the risk of online businesses. And the risk comes in uh, when it comes to monetization and traffic sources. So in terms of monetization, you don't want to have all of your sites as affiliates for Amazon, right? And for anyone you know unfamiliar with what that is, is you sell Amazon products and they give you a small percentage on all the sales that come through your site. Uh, you don't want to have it all via Amazon because what if Amazon shuts down your state? Like you're no longer able to operate with Amazon. There goes which all they've of done your before. Income. Yes. So uh, if you have AdSense, right? At Google has been known to shut down AdSense accounts, and there goes 100% of your income. So you want to diversify against monetization. So if one goes down, maybe you lose 30, 40% of your income maximum, right? The other thing is you want to diversify against traffic sources. So as you know, with Google, the algorithm could change and all of a sudden, you know, you're going from, you know, 500 visits a day down to 300 or 200 visits a day or less, right? So if all of your traffic is coming from organic um, and all of your sites are built the exact same way with the exact same type of links, that could be uh, dangerous. That's, that's putting you at risk. So you want to diversify against just having organic. You want some paid traffic some social traffic in there, some direct traffic, some stuff that's not all organic. And one way to do that is just buy a website that already has diversified monetization or traffic sources. But you may not find those you know, sub $100,000. So one of the ways you can do it is you can build out the portfolio uh, site by site. So maybe one site's a $40,000 site, but it's mostly organic. Another $50,000 site is uh, you know, mostly paid traffic. And so diversify your portfolio rather than just the site itself. Okay. So we're looking to diversify whatever whatever we're doing. So I now let's say we get on Empire Flippers. We see all all the listings. 
bunch of different websites. You know, first we're going to look at budget. What can we what can we afford? Um, and then you know we we want to diversify. What are some things that you're going to look for as like you know kind of a, a red flag that you know maybe this this website uh, isn't all that it's cracked up to be, or uh, that it's a particularly risky investment. What are the, what are those? Those those red flags that you might look for as as you're looking through a listing, and not that not that any website is you know an ov- overtly a scam, but but what are some things that, m- that might make one deal a little bit better than another? Well, one thing I'll mention, and I think this is uh, something that new buyers fall into the trap of, is they say, look, I want to cite about one specific topic only. I only want to cite about let's say knives, for example. And if you're not open to any other types of sites. It's going to be really problematic for you. You're going to be searching for a long time. So you have to look at all the time you spend looking for sites versus the actual value of it when you when you finally get that one site. If you spend a year, you know, uh, 10 hours a week for a year trying to find the site and you finally find the right one, I mean, how many other potential niches could have you got into and done really well with those sites? So that's something to consider is be a bit more open in the type of niche or industry you're willing to get into. Look more of it as a business. And I know that's something you talk about a lot, Jim, on your podcast is, you know, you 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 love business, not you're not like married to any particular industry. I think that's a good point. So when you're looking for sites and looking for and, and don't get me wrong, there are scams, right? And there are people that could scam you through our platform. Ultimately, we do the vetting just to clean up the listing so that the marketplace is relatively clean, but it's on every buyer to do their own due diligence. Ultimately, we're representing the seller, so you know we have the seller's interest in mind. Now, because we have buyers and sellers, like we try to protect both sides of the market, but you know, due diligence is your responsibility. And there's a company that can help with that. It's called Centurica. They actually do due diligence reports for you as a third party, and they can kind of dig into it a bit. Now, you can't put all of your due diligence on them either. I suggest you do your do your own due diligence first, and then order the report as kind of a last minute thing to make sure that they don't you know uh, present anything that you might have missed. So one of the things you're going to want to look at is when you get access to let's say Google Analytics or Clicky or you know, whatever platform that's being used, you want to look for things like bot traffic. Um, I don't know if this is too technical for your listeners. I don't know how detailed you want me to get into this, but you look for things like you know, if all the traffic is coming from an odd country, a country that you know shouldn't be based on their rankings, uh, that's a, a red flag. If you look at the country and you see that uh, you know it's not very evenly split amongst the cities, it's only coming from certain cities, and maybe that there are hubs that they're using to provide that bot traffic. Um, other times you'll see in analytics you'll see things where uh, you know, the browser that's most often used is one that's funky, like some Safari browser, one that just doesn't make any sense based on typical search volume. So you start to see things that just don't add up. Um, you'll see paid traffic that wasn't disclosed. That's a big one, actually, and, and kind of like backing out a second. For anyone that's going to buy a site and something was not disclosed or there was something that was disclosed that wasn't exactly accurate, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a red flag right there. If they're lying about that, what else could they be lying about? So you want to go into the purchase assuming that there's things wrong with it, right? That, that should be your, your strategy. Assume that things are wrong and try to figure out what those things are. Okay. Uh, so what kind of information can we get from a Centurica report? I, I've never done one of those. I, I've heard you mention it, and I am always left to kind of wonder, what are they doing that I'm not already doing in, in vetting a site? 
So they have some automated tools uh, that will look at like the backlinks and stuff, and they also have a manual piece to this. So they actually have someone going through and looking at the information. They look at, for example, the transferability of the monetization method. Uh, they look for diversification in terms of monetization traffic. Um, they look at things like is the revenue or are the revenue or earnings um, out of line with industry standards in terms of uh, you know revenue per page view. So if it's you know extremely high, they'll point that out. How are they getting so much money per page view when of all the sites you know that have been sold in the past, that seems you know three to four times the average. That seems odd, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll point out things that you might have missed, and that's why I'm saying I wouldn't rely on them first. I wouldn't make that my first line of defense and due diligence. I would make it kind of an after the fact, let me just see and and make sure that everything aligns with what I found on my own. That way you're still doing your own individual due diligence and it's kind of just a backup or a final check. Yeah, and I think revenue per page view is an important metric. It's tough though for somebody who's just coming into this to have any kind of basis of of what's what's in line with an industry standard. Uh, I, I had... Uh, I got to be careful because I'm under an NDA on this one. Um, there was a certain website in a niche that I'm extremely, extremely familiar with that had way more traffic. I mean, way more traffic than my website does. And I saw how much money that they're earning, and they're earning a lot less money than I am with, I mean, way more traffic than I have in the exact same niche. And I was just outside my mind going crazy trying to figure out how I could how I could get this deal together because it was a very expensive website given the huge amount of traffic they had and I just could not get enough money together uh, to make this deal it was a very very high dollar amount um, and I was just going crazy because I mean I know I could flip a couple switches on that thing and overnight make it go crazy because I'm in the exact same niche. Uh, but uh, so so understanding the revenue per you know amount of revenue that it should be earning co- compared to how much traffic they have is very important. But keep in mind that some people are really good at monetizing and some people are really bad at it. And so you could see huge variations either way. Jim, I love that. So the site you're talking about right there, and I don't know the individual site, but I know where you're coming from because we've seen deals like this before, where the site, and you know the niche, you're very familiar with it, and you see it as like deeply under-monetized, that presents a, an amazing opportunity, especially because you know the niche and you're familiar with it, right? So uh, you know, I, I think that in this instance, whatever, you can raise the cash. I'm sure it was a ton of money, and you were like, oh, it was, it was an aggressive move probably. But um, there are people out there in this space right now that are willing to you know, offer financing or willing to, to go in on you. And, and this all comes down to deal structuring. You can set up deals. Like, for example, a lot of sellers will offer uh, you know, seller finance. So they'll maybe you can only come up with 60%, 70% of the cash and they'll finance you. You basically pay them off over time out of the profits. Sometimes they'll actually allow an earnout. So you get a percentage of the earnings over time until you know such amount is paid off. So if you can't come up with the cash, that's an option. You can also bring in investors, a passive investor. So let's say, for example, you only had 40% of the cash. Well, that would be a problem, right? Because that's less than half of what they're asking for. But if you can get another passive investor to come in at 30% and get seller financing for another 30%, you're at the 100%, you're good to go. You can buy the site. So there are, if, if you're strategic about kind of like your deal structure, and this is something that we help new buyers with, uh, you can actually reach up and get some of those sites that you thought maybe weren't affordable. 
So, so let, let's talk to somebody who, who has, you know, a day job, has, has some income that they're, they're ready to invest. Let's say they, you know, if they were to scratch together right now, they could come up with $2,000. What do you think the timeline should look like? What do you think is a, is a good price point for a very first website? And, and how might they look at some of these creative deal, ways to structure a deal so that they can get started? So honestly, if someone has $2,000 and they're kind of looking to get started, um, and they, let's say they've never built any sites before, never managed a portfolio or anything like that, and they just want to get started, with 2000 bucks, I'd honestly recommend that they try building a site from scratch. There's a ton of learning experiences that, and this doesn't benefit me, of course, but like I, I think there's value in, in figuring out how to set up WordPress, how to do keyword research, how to select a niche. And so with 2000 bucks, up. Yeah, how to, how, to, how, to not, how to not screw up, basically. And, everybody and I, who has a WordPress site, everybody who has a WordPress site at some point in the first few months screwed it up royally. Yep, and you, sure. if you didn't have a backup, you had to start fresh. I, I don't know how many times I did that before I had a rock-solid backup strategy. So you better not go spend 20000 bucks on a site and not have a backup of the thing. Yeah, I, so I think if, if you're under, basically, we were talking about this before the show, but I think if you're under $10,000, the site you're buying there is really, it makes some money, it makes a little bit, and it's kind of a good, okay, this will get me started, I can see how it works a bit, but with two, $3,000, honestly, you should probably just build a site from scratch and go through the process of making mistakes and learning and trying to figure it out until you kind of get comfortable, and then you can start, that gives you time to, to save up money and get a site that's a bit more substantial, too. Um, when you get into the maybe... You know, fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. Now you're getting sites that are making seven hundred, a thousand, or more dollars uh, per month in in profit. And I think those are big enough where they start to make sense and are a bit more established. Um, so you're probably better off there. I, I really you should probably start if you want to start buying and get into this game. Fifteen to twenty thousand is, is where you should probably start. Otherwise, you're buying a starter site that has a little bit of income. You can kind of test it out, but you're really still in kind of the builder phase. I think. Okay, so we're, we're looking for that much money, and for a lot of people, that just feels way out of reach. So, so what do we do? You know, let's say, all right, I started my website. I, I got my feet wet. I understand how to do WordPress. You know, I've had a little bit of success on my own, own website, and I'm ready to play in the big leagues. Uh, how in the world am I going to get to $15,000 for the, for the person that's, that's in those shoes, which I think, which I think is going to be a lot of people? That, you know, $15,000 is... A lot of money for most people. So, how, how do we get to there? To, to be honest with you, Jim, I, you know, I just think that if you don't like fifteen thousand dollars and you're buying a site, there's a big risk there too, right? The site you know, may not be doing that well in the next six months. So, fifteen thousand dollars is all the money you have in the world. I wouldn't recommend you buy a website. I mean, like, I just I wouldn't do it, right? So, I would probably recommend again building from scratch, building up some sites. Maybe selling them in a year or two when you've you've built them up to something substantial, maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks a month, and then you've got the capital to move forward. But I think if, you're, if you've got you've you know scratched together fifteen thousand dollars and that's all you've got, you probably shouldn't be getting into this game. I mean, you know, I, and that's that's not that's rough, I think, but I think it's the truth, man. I just don't think that with only fifteen thousand dollars you should be buying uh, you know buying and selling websites. I I definitely agree with that. So let's say we're we're a little bit short. What are some of the kind of creative ways that we can structure a deal to make it work? 
Yeah. So, you know, as I said before, sellers sometimes are willing to offer financing. You'll definitely see that in the 30, 40, 50 thousand or more range where, you know, okay, they'll, they'll take 30% of it and allow you to finance that over six months or 12 months. Um, because look, they want to sell the deal, right? And they're willing to take a bit of cash out of the deal uh, longer term. They may also allow an earn out. So, you know, they may, um, you know, let's say 50% of profits until X amount of dollars have been paid back where they uh, benefit in the upside with you. So if you actually improve the site, they make more money. If the site goes to crap, then they make less money as well. So an earnout kind of, if you're as a buyer, you're worried about the long-term viability, trying to push more into the earnout, maybe it's your advantage, right? Um, there's also things where, and I think this is interesting, when the seller is in a position where he thinks uh, that the site is absolutely awesome, has a ton of opportunity, but for whatever reason, can't do anymore, life situation or whatever, uh, they may retain some equity. So maybe the seller keeps 20% equity and gives you 25% off the purchase price, right? Because they're the one wanting to keep the equity. So what that does is you can hold them to some requirements where they, on a monthly basis, have to do a strategy call with you or whatever. But basically, they have some upside in the site as you continue to grow it out. So they can stay on as like a strategic advisor. They can kind of help guide you in the growth of the site. And it's a way for you to put less money down and keep them around, keep them interested in you know the long-term viability of the site. And sellers do this because, and this has happened, where someone sold a site and within 12 months, it's three, it's making three times what it made when they sold it. And you know they end up kicking themselves, going, God, if I had just kept it, it would have done really well. <laughs> so this is a way for them to kind of protect their, you know, risk or you know the 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 loss that they would have by you know giving it to someone else and having them build it out. So why are sellers wanting to sell? Because if this website's doing well, what what are they doing getting rid of it? Yeah. So this is this is a really interesting question, and I get this on both sides of the table. On on one hand, you've got people that say, I don't understand why anyone would ever sell a site. You know, I want to buy and hold sites. Selling site is absolutely ridiculous. I would never sell a site. And on the other hand, you know, people are like, I, if I can build up a site, I spent you know, 500 bucks on it and I can sell it for $10,000, I'm going to do that all day long. In fact, I don't know why people are buying these sites. It's ridiculous. I'll just build them and sell them all day long. So that just tells us that we're, on a, we're in a pretty good marketplace where you have two different sides that can't believe the other side is doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, the reason that people sell, there are like good reasons and there are bad reasons. So some of the you know legitimate reasons are people have a life situation come up. They're getting married. Um, we had one seller specifically that uh, needed the money for an adoption, right? They wanted to adopt and that's an expensive process. So need the money for that. Sometimes people are looking to buy homes and so they want the cash for the down payment or to buy it outright. So those are, you know, some legitimate life issues. Other times, you know, sellers believe that they've got the site either as, as, far, as, as far as they can take it. Like they just don't see any more opportunity in the site. Um, they see, uh, you know, on a more negative aspect, maybe they see something coming down the road that's going to be problematic. So let's say I'm in a questionable uh, legal niche, right? That's legal now, but I'm not sure what the future is going to be in the U.S., for example, and I want to sell it off, you know, to, to you know, minimize my, you know, my losses in case that happens. And so, you know, there are just a, a ton of reasons. Sometimes people realize they're, they're the buy and sell crowd. So they've got the site, they've doubled it or something in the last 12, 24 months, and they realize I've got a good enough return on the site. I want to, you know, get my uh, initial capital back plus my profits and invest it in something else. Maybe I want to let 
pull up, right? So I want to get my 80,000 back. I originally put, you know, 30,000 in the site, 40,000. I want to get my 80,000 back and buy a larger site. Um, so yeah, it's just a ton of reasons people sell, man. Uh, that's that's very interesting, and and I think it is interesting to to hear how people feel about it from either side. Because in my view, I would never ever sell a website unless yeah. unless I knew that like oh boy, this thing's gonna go down the tank soon. I would never sell. I'm a hold guy. I want to get that money rolling in over time. Uh, so I, I think it's easy or it's interesting to to hear that. There's one thing that I want to have a little bit of a discussion with you on. Uh, it's it's one aspect of Empire Flippers that I don't love. Uh, but I but I've heard you talk about it on your podcast, and so I, I guess I want to have a little bit of a discussion. I know you're always always open about the things you do, so I know you'll welcome it. And yeah. that is that when a website is bought and sold, there's no contract signed. And the reasoning that I've I've heard you give on the podcast is, you know, often we have sellers uh, from from two different countries and stuff. And you're right. If I'm in Idaho and the sellers in India, forget it. Your money's gone. Uh, there's just no way that's going to happen. But the reason that and and I am a lawyer, so I love contracts. I don't practice law anymore. I do that. I do you know online stuff full time. But what I see so often in in disputes between people is it happens so much more frequently when there is no contract because there's no agreement. Uh, we never came to a consensus on a lot of very important issues. And if there were a contract, you know, whether or not I can pursue it, we're at least clear on what I'm doing and what he's doing. So a couple examples of that. Let's say I buy a website and tomorrow I get a, a, a trademark a DMCA letter and it's like, crap, dude. Now what about this? What if, what if I have photos on there and I don't realize that I bought a blog that has thousands of, of photos that they didn't purchase from stock websites. And it's like, crap, now what? Uh, we just haven't been clear in our agreement who's responsible for what. And so I feel like it's very important that there should be a contract between the buyer and seller, even if it's not enforceable, just so it's extremely clear who is responsible for each part of the transaction. Oh, you lawyers. You lawyers. <laughs> no, seriously, though, no. one thing I agree with you on is, is uh, clarity, right? And there has to be clarity and understanding in terms of, like, what's going to be delivered, what are the terms, how is this going to work? And we handle that with very plain speak English via email. We get both the buyer and seller to agree generally when these issues come up. And that's it. We leave it there. And, and for the reasons you stated, right? So if there were a trademark dispute or problem, like how would your contract with the guy in, you know, Indonesia play out? Like, are you actually, would you actually go after him for that? Well, but not all the sellers are in Indonesia. I bought a site from a guy in Colorado and dang, I wish I had a contract. Yeah, it happens. So there are sometimes you're in the same country. Sometimes it's not, you know, the same. And I would say too that it's not that we never do contracts. We have done and will continue to do contracts in some situations, especially for larger sites. So we have a deal right now that we're looking to close. It's like just under two hundred thousand dollars, and still require a contract. So especially when you get into dollar amounts that are that high, like just hey, you know, it's cool, man. You're good. Here's the site. You know, that doesn't work at two hundred thousand dollars. But um, you know, for five, six thousand dollar sites, I mean, it just 
good luck. I mean, it's really not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, it's going to be really difficult to enforce. Maybe as a lawyer, you can do it cheaper than the rest of us because you're actually a lawyer yourself. But <laughs> for the rest of us, paying the, the, the attorney's fees are just not even worth it. Um, no, that, that's true for fees. as far as enforcement is concerned. But what about the fact that, I mean, there are just honest, good people. And in fact, most people are just honest, good people who are just going about their lives. I just want clarity on what I'm responsible for and what the other guy's responsible for. And if there's anything that, that I that's, you know, I could see in a contract, it's like, hey, you know, I, I, that's right, I better bring this up that, you know, by the way, a couple of months ago, I got a letter from somebody who's, who's has a trademark issue uh, with the domain name, right? Yeah, like, I, I agree with you on the clarity point. And so I'm, I'm in total agreement. What I don't agree with is that it's absolutely required that a contract is needed to spell that out. A lot of times contracts are legalese, they're not in plain English, and I think most of that can be done in writing via email where both of the parties agree. And so that's generally the way that we handle it is via email. We have done contracts, we do have contracts in certain situations, but generally as long as both parties are clear, there is clarity on both sides, I mean that's that's the thing that you're really looking for as a buyer or a seller is to make sure things are clear. And and the biggest legal hurdles or biggest issues come up when there isn't clarity. And so I think I agree with you on that, that that's important, that both the buyer and the seller understand what the deal is, how it works, what the terms are, et cetera. Yeah, and I, I guess the thing that I'm thinking about is there's really no harm uh, to, you know, maybe even when you submit an offer or, or you even pay the down, po the, the down payment, the deposit on a website to get more information, do we just have a checkbox that says, hey, all of our sales are governed by this blank, you know, in plain English, uh, bullet pointed uh, agreement that this is what you do and this is what they do. I feel like it could add clarity. It wouldn't add, you know, hardly any, any work. And uh, even if it's not enforceable, it's clear and I don't see the harm into it. So, I don't know. At, well, at least you, in my you, Jim, opinion, we, I would love to see it. Well, we lose out on some buyers and sellers that refuse to do business with us because of, you know, we wouldn't do contracts or whatever. And so there are other brokers that do that. So there, you know, FE International does contracts. Quiet Light Brokerage does contracts and they're pretty intense with the contracts and the agreements that you sign. And so it, looking for like more protection via contract, those guys do it really, really well. But our buyers and sellers generally prefer to go with us because of the ease at which they can do business. And so, you know, us as entrepreneurs, like we appreciate that and our buyers and sellers generally appreciate that. But we're not the only game in town. So if people would prefer to use contracts and really kind of, you know, spell everything out all the way along the process, there are options for you to do that for sure. Ricky, what do you think about that? Does that would that make you feel more or less comfortable either way uh, in buying or selling a website? Well, Jim, as you were um, just as you were asking the question, as the discussion was rolling out, I actually had a similar thought to what you just brought up. Um, and I'm thinking from the perspective of somebody like me. I'm, I'm a little bit more like the person Jim was describing earlier. Uh, prior to income school, I didn't have much experience with uh, blogs and websites. And uh, my, you know, my background's in business and most of my uh, entrepreneurial experience has been in, in many other things, but not in websites. And so I'm thinking if I'm... You're talking about business with like real actual people. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just other, other business, right? <laughs> like when I, you have an office and stuff. Like real stuff, like a water cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a water cooler. Um, things like that, right? Um, <laughs> so that, I mean, that's just where my experience was prior to this. So I'm thinking from the perspective of me, let's say I want to get involved. I want to 
invest in a website. Um, when when you're talking about the due diligence, when you're talking about everything, I, I wouldn't necessarily have known what to look for. I know a lot better now because I've been involved in income school. I've been working with Jim. Um, but I wouldn't have known before. I wouldn't have even known what sort of terms to work out. I wouldn't have even thought about or necessarily wouldn't have thought about trademarks and I wouldn't have thought about, you know, are, are these pictures legit? I wouldn't have thought about, um, you know, are, is, is this traffic real? Are, are they, you know, I, I would have just looked at the site and been like, Hey, that looks pretty cool. And they're making, you know, it looks nice. It looks yeah. nice. They're make, they say they're making 800 bucks a month. Hey, if that keeps up, that's, I'm going to get an awesome return on my investment. Sure. Let's do it. Um, and so I'm thinking from the perspective of somebody like me having some sort of guidance, uh, you know, Jim mentioned a checkbox. I don't know if it's like a, a checkbox sort of thing or just sort of a, you know, a bullet list of, you know, hey, here is some of the uh, here are some of the points that you should come to agreement on. Even if even if Empire Flippers doesn't spell out who's usually responsible for what, because that's I think that's going to vary. Right. That's going to vary from deal to deal, from website to website. Um but you know, if there, it might it might be good to have some some guidance on. Here are the things that would be worth clarifying. <laughs> and uh, so, as the buyer, you should ask about this. As the seller, you should make sure you're clear on this. And that way, both sides kind of know what to come to the table with and know what to discuss. Um, Look, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that we don't turn away deals necessarily where one side or the other, the buyer or the seller, is absolutely requiring the contract. It's not like we get to the closing table and one guy's like, "Okay, we need a contract." We're like, "Oh, sorry, can't do business with you at Empire <laughs> Flippers." No, it just we're, we're trying to get our perceptive out there, our perception out there, so people understand kind of like that contracts. You can't rely on contracts necessarily absolutely. when it comes to these issues. That you really need to figure that out in due diligence. So it's not that we'll you know necessarily turn people away because they want a contract. Um, and again, like I said, there are other people out there that are much heavier in contract space. Um, you'll pay a premium for that as well. So, yeah. um, you know, from our perspective, look, I mean, we've, we've done quite a bit of business in terms of website sales. So clearly, I mean, the market's okay with what we're doing. Um, you know, you could probably argue that maybe if we had contracts, we'd do more business. But I think I could argue that we might do less because some of the people that like to do business with us without the contracts prefer it that way. So well, yeah, and I and I actually agree with you, Justin, on that point. That especially for the lower cost websites. I mean, uh, Jim, you you mentioned that this was all right with you as well. But for, you know, for for a website that's five thousand or less, or or maybe even up to the ten or fifteen thousand, uh, having a, f- a formal contract for one, you're right. It'll probably turn some people away. Uh, doesn't bother me so much, but I know a lot of people are bothered by legal language. Um, I'm a pretty smart guy and there's a lot of legalese that I get lost into. So, um, I'm a lawyer and there's a lot of legalese that I get lost in, man. So I, and I agree with you completely, Justin, that, um, you know, the cost of trying to enforce the contract, uh, legal fees and whatever else are going to be so big compared to what you actually paid for the site that, that even if you could try to enforce it, there wouldn't be a lot of value in necessarily a contract. Um, but, I guess maybe the thought that uh, that might help for somebody like me would be um, uh, just just some guidance on here are some of the terms that you guys should come to agreement on. Just yeah, through emails back and forth. It's informal and it's going to be in plain English. But uh, you know, you're a brand new buyer. I mean, maybe this is just uh, something that's on your website. that's... That's like here's a tool for a new buyer or here's a tool for a new seller. 
you're new to this whole buying and selling websites thing, here's maybe some things to think about. Yeah, I think we've done, we have a, we did a workshop where we had like a checklist of things that buyers could go okay. through. And we did this just privately in our workshop. That's probably something we should share publicly. That'd probably be helpful. And yeah, in terms of like just you know making sure the buyer and seller agree to things via email, that's how we do it today. Except for larger deals or deals that, you know, one side is requiring a contract, we'll do that. I'll add one more piece to this I think that's interesting is that, you know, we have there are a whole bunch of, you know, I guess heuristics we use in business, right? Mm -hmm. That just we've figured out over time. Um, we don't, there are, there are certain types of people we just don't do business with that they are responding a certain way to this, that, or the other. Uh, one of the things is like when they're really sticklers on contracts and this huge like debate back and forth between point, uh, point going point for point on a contract has been a, a ridiculous time waster. Like, <laughs> and this is from, from previous businesses of ours yeah. where, you know, in our outsourcing company where we're doing this long like contract negotiation, we've just noticed that the time and hassle of trying to get those deals done just never really seemed to be worth it. And so I think that's probably carried over into this business that we have today. It's, it's funny how those things, you know, how that happens, like some biases and, and sometimes good biases uh, cross over from your previous business experience. And you were talking about like offline business, the water cooler stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, Joe and I learned in business that were in your traditional business sense that definitely apply to online businesses as well. Sure. All right. So what category of website is hot right now? What, what kind of, what website do you see that's, that's getting listed? You're like, yeah, this is going to sell and sell fast. So I like the lead gen sites right now that are in the medical education space. And so somebody who's brand these. new to that, what, what does lead gen mean? Yeah, so here's what it means. Let's say, for example, that I create a site that's about, let's just say, x-ray technicians, right? And so there are a bunch of schools in the U.S., for-profit schools, that are looking for students to become um, x-ray technicians. And so I create a site that kind of walks them through the process and shows them how to become an x-ray technician, you know, the, the requirements and, and yada, yada. And it goes state by state, city by city. And then on that site, there's a little form for them to fill out, right? And they put in their name, their phone number, their information, and hit submit. That's now sent over as a lead. So a lead has been generated. Now, me as the owner of the website, there are a bunch of companies that have agreements with those for-profit schools that will buy those leads, right? So there's a company out there called Quinn Street. There's another company out there called Campus Explorer. And they will pay me as the website owner, let's say maybe between $15 and $40 for those leads that I've generated for them. Now, the schools are probably paying them $80 or $100 on the back end, right? But I'm getting my piece of it based on generating those leads. So these sites that are in the medical education, like the for-profit medical education space in the US that deliver leads to companies like Quinn Street or Campus Explorer, those are really hot right now. Um, we see those selling really quickly, really effectively. I like them because there's a ton of content you can write. You can get really local and it's easy to rank locally. So if you're trying to rank in you know, Sacramento, California for x-ray technicians, it's a hell of a lot easier than trying to rank for x-ray technician nationwide. And so you can do a lot of this long tail uh, content that's able to easily rank for you know, terms you get maybe 700 searches a month but are driving you leads and driving you income. So those sites are really hot right now. I'd say the Amazon sites uh, in general are good. It's changing a bit there. You need to have like some kind of unique edge. I think your content needs to be pretty good, but Amazon sites sell really, really well. Uh, lead gen sites. Um, if you have anything that has recurring revenue, so let's say you know SaaS product or something, uh, you're going to get uh, really good multiples. Um, you can sell those really well, but you generally don't see those under 100,000. 
Uh, so you're going to see those more like the mid six figure to low seven figure space for the SaaS companies. But those are clearly uh, profitable and they sell really well in, you know, in the, the upper range of what we do. I'm always surprised as I look through listings that I see very, very few uh, digital product based websites. And that's surprising for me because I'm an information marketing guy. I mean, I, that's what I do when I get a website. I want to put a product on it. Uh, but I, it seems like I see very, very few of those. Why do you suppose that is? So we don't take a lot of those. Uh, and the reason is a lot of the ones that we see where people try to submit to us, it was based on some kind of launch cycle or sequence. And so that's not really helpful for an investor, right? So we try to shield our buyers from sites like that because, you know, if they did a launch six months ago and they want to claim the revenue for the previous six months, that's going to be a continuation of, you know, what's happened previously. We're just, it's hard to price that and that just doesn't seem like an honest approach. And so whenever they're based on kind of those launch cycles, we don't do them. If there are info products out there, let's say it's, you know, how to train your dog or something, it's been out there for a couple of years and it's relatively steady, we'd sell them. But I don't know, you just don't see them that often. Uh, we don't come across those. We only come across the ones where, you know, there was a launch involved and, and we normally deny those sites. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a buyer out there that would buy it, but like a portfolio type buyer, it's less interesting. So even though we might be able to sell it, it's just it's something that we kind of avoid on the. And I don't know, are, are your info products? Is it like you launch them and then like you do put them like through a relaunch and do a 2.0 version a year later, or is it more like you put them out there and they just passively sell? Well, I always I always have a launch when I well launch the product initially, but sure. I mean I'm still selling products now that I made four years ago, um, but but I can I can definitely see your point from a portfolio investor, certainly from a, a low dollar website, because I, I, there's no way I'm going to put in the effort to run a launch on a website on a product that's going to earn 3000 bucks. Right? There's <laughs> exactly. no way I'm going to yeah. do that. But if we're talking about a high end website, you know, all, all the blogs that, you know, are making serious money, all the guys that I know, everybody is doing launches all the time. And so I could see that it would make a lot more sense in the higher end where it's a big enough of a property that you're probably not just going to let it sit. Either you're going to be putting work into this or you're going to hire somebody to put work into this and you'd be willing to do a launch. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, I, it's been great to talk with you. I, I have been loving uh, buying and selling websites. I, I have uh, another investment that's, that's burning a hole in my pocket right now. I've uh, been uh, looking at looking through fire flippers, and I think I'll I'll be uh, returning yet again. Uh, it, it, I I love the the resource you have on Empire Flippers, the podcast. Uh, even if you're not ready to buy a website today, go check out the Empire Flippers podcast. Has just great information on uh, on websites. A suggestion for you that I would love to hear on that website is interviews with people who have bought a site and increased the revenue. I want to know what people are doing. Yeah, man, we've done a few of those. There's one uh, with a guy named Ace, uh, bought a site with us. Yeah, um, I loved built that it up episode. And then sold it again. So, yeah, we're going to start doing more of those. I like those shows too. Cool. Uh, we do a bunch of seller interviews. And I think yeah, um, I, 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 I did one with a buyer where uh, he bought the site and we kind of like reviewed what he'd bought eight months ago. And I think it'd gone up a bit, maybe 30, 40%. And I, you know what I was surprised about? And it's really interesting. When we sold the site, we were pretty sure that the site would require brand ambassadorship. It would require you going out to forums. We thought there was a lot of work required. And that was kind of our assumption. We put our own assumptions on what we thought was required for the site. So the guy bought it 
and did very little with it. Like he didn't go out there. He wasn't a brand ambassador. Just kind of sat it, you know, bought it and sat on it. And I uh, did really well. So we were, I was really surprised to talk to him in the interview like eight months later and find out, no, he's just hanging out, just, you know, collecting the money. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Yeah, that was, that was a great episode. I was very interested in that as well. Cool, man. Well, well cool. thanks, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, good to talk right. with you. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, guys. When you're serious about launching your website, check out Jim's free step-by-step -step tutorials at IncomeSchool.com. Income School is a production of Improv Photography, LLC. Any opinions expressed by guests and callers do not reflect those of Improv Photography, LLC. Results mentioned not typical. Some links mentioned are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Some calls simulated. Improv Photography, LLC is not a law firm and does not give legal or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a competent licensed CPA or lawyer licensed in your jurisdiction before making business decisions.